Okay, well, I guess we'll start. I met Calvin at the Prosperos way back in 1971. The Prosperos is a school about the science of beingness. Calvin is a magnificent expression of the energy and spontaneity of beingness. Calvin does many things in many places. He teaches the main classes of the Prosperos, translation and RHS, as well as seminars and workshops in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington State. Translation is a process for discovering the truth about anything, and RHS is a process that does the same, but dealing with emotions. In addition, Calvin is teaching a preparatory mentoring program for those interested in becoming professional prosperous mentors. He also creates personalized life coaching packages that enable students greater access to their skills and talents. So now I bring on view Calvin Harris. Aloha and welcome to the Prospero Sunday meeting. Um, I'm happy to see everyone that's here today. I hear the weather situations that they have going on. Aloha, Maureen. It's good that you're here today. We're happy to have you as well as everyone else that is online and who will probably listen to this later. Aloha. I um, wanted to take a moment and um, talk about um, that question of who am I? Uh, the Sunday meetings are presented by various presenters and teachers, and it covers a, an array of subjects uh, when the Sunday meetings take place. I'm just one of the many speakers that talk about things here. And there's different focuses and aspects of life, beingness and reality that are delved into. One way or another, it is about that all-important question that presents itself to us. Who am I? And how do I want to express that I amness? For some uh, people, that question is taken more, seri more seriously. <laughs> and um, and uh, thus, the quest for identity is an ongoing theme. In our modern evolving culture of the uh, communications that have been moving into uh, artificial intelligence and uh, other forms of consciousness, um, the question begs, how do we stop being a clog in the wheel and take hold of our life? A clue is to understand that our basic core, at, at our basic core, we are awareness. Does not matter what we are aware of, we are awareness. And therefore consciousness, consciousness, awareness, that which is or existence. 
the Prosperos can can direct you through their techniques to live a more uh, full life uh, if you choose, and to use your gifts if you choose, which is the ability to give for your former self, believe in your current self, and create your future self. Fortunately, there are paths that invite us off the hamster wheel, and the Prosperos being one of them. So the Prosperos focus is on identity, but not in the way that we have been socialized to believe that it is. Rather, through various unlearning techniques, we call them translation, we call them releasing the hidden splendor, but they all point us to a journey of identity that ultimately cultivates a realization that we are not who we think we are. And that we live in two worlds. We, <laughs> we live in what is considered the material world, and yet there is something higher, that supraconscious, that state of awareness of the material. And because of that supraconscious awareness of the material, we get to choose. And that's where our gifts are found. My guest today uh, will be Elsa Lee. Unfortunately, she hasn't had that background uh, that, that many of us here in the Prosperos have had. But somehow through her journey, she has been able to uh, cultivate that uh, gift of life and that yearning to know more. Um, ben, could you show that picture that I asked you to show? Sure. Give me a second here. So we're always at that point of deciding how we want to live, what we're, how we're going to live, how that's going to take place. And as you can see from this picture, we can live in the front row or we can live in the third row back. <laughs> My guest today is Elsa Lee and she is certainly a front row liver. <laughs> and so I bring Elsa on the, to the screen. Elsa, uh, uh, welcome today. How are you, my dear? Well, I'm doing okay. I, you know, got through a terrible, you know, I got vaccinated against COVID and everything is fine. And then I got just the ordinary flu, which I haven't, <laughs> had, which I haven't had in 20 years. So <laughs> what? You know, like, okay, we can't give her this, so we'll give her this one instead, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. If I, sound, if I sound a little, you know, raspy and hoarse, that's, that's fine. Oh, wonderful. Oh, my goodness. How, have, how do we know each other? <laughs> we met through um, some friends of, mutual friends of ours who were involved in Prosperos. Um, at a social setting and uh, through Larry and Debbie, I met you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of hung out together in the same community. 
So we've known each other, oh, maybe one or two years. <laughs> well, let's see. Got to be at least going on 40 years. Oh, 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 let's just say four decades. That sounds a lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, before... I, I, I can't believe that, that either because I'm not that old. Oh, no, I'm not either. I, I had a nephew uh, uh, turn, well, actually it was of two of my nieces and my nephew, I didn't think too much of, but when my nieces who were closer to me and uh, I had seen uh, go from babies, all of a sudden are, are uh, turning 40 years old and I'm going, they couldn't be turning 40 years old. I'm not 40. <laughs> so you can see the, 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 the dilemma that goes on there. So um, uh, uh, going on, um, Elsa, tell us a, a little bit about where you grew, uh, where you were born. I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Mm-hmm in a mixed race family uh, uh -huh. which is the only one that looks like this uh, <laughs> and um, on the wrong side of the tracks but you know we lived in an immigrant neighborhood for 10 years I came to California when I was 10 mm -hmm. and we were the only mixed race family in this eastern European immigrant neighborhood but um and it was a really old, old neighborhood. I mean, it was established around 1900, you know. So we lived in this little skinny little flat, you know, one and a half story townhouse kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I didn't really get that that wasn't, you know, it was just where I, I was born in that house. So um, I grew up, you know, in that neighborhood until I was, him. And then my family decided to come out to California. My grandmother and grandfather had already come out here. And uh, my father's health was not good. So we had to get out of the winter, you know, climate. And uh, we drove cross country with my sister and brother and my aunt and uncle and my cousin who was just a few months old. And, you know, just came to California. Then my grandmother already had a house for us to, you know, come to. And, you know, coming to California was like, that was like a different, you know, country to me. <laughs> um, and I was very impressed with it. You know, it was like, it was beautiful and warm and glamorous. Although actually we got here on New Year's Day, 1948. And it was the coldest winter they'd had in California for quite some time. <laughs> and it snowed, you know. Oh so my. We'd driven all the way across the country to get out of the snow, and you know, and there it was. But and then uh, you brought it with you, I see. Of <laughs> course. And um, yeah, I went to school, and you know, um, actually, I went to school in a, my grammar school. It was always, you know, mixed neighborhoods that we lived in. And, um, and then high school, and then in my latter two years of high school, uh, we moved 
further south. And uh, within uh, Southern California. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, with Los Angeles, actually. With the, oh, within the Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. And I was thrown into a all white high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, of course, nobody questioned me because in those days it was called passing, you know. Yes. Although I never, I never did that consciously, you know, it wasn't something like, oh, you know. Well, it was different than my aunt who, um, when people asked her uh, what she was, she would tell them she was French just to be able to get the job that she, she had yeah. that would bring in the money that she had. So uh, uh, again, it is that, uh, that um, you have um, sort of two restrictions going uh, uh, against you uh, for advancement in life. One being that you were a woman and then second, uh, that you were a woman of mixed race if they knew. But it's amazing how uh, we, how one carries themselves that a lot of that can, uh, you can just get over. Uh, and well, I think I never, that this is what, one of the things that you you show us, isn't it? Well, I never really got over it. I just never got on it, you know. <laughs> so um, it was the a sense of not identifying uh, so much as being a prejudiced person, right? No, no, it was, it just, you know, really from as long as I can remember, and I kind of say it about five years old when I had self-consciousness and I don't mean being self-conscious I mean consciousness of self mm -hmm. and I um I just always knew who I was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I knew I was talented because I could draw from the time I was old enough to hold a crayon so I'm you know and my parents were beautiful people you know physically really beautiful people um my grandmother as well my grandmother was an artist very talented very dynamic very pretty woman who was also quite fair. Uh, she was a redhead. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, and, you know, she played the piano. She was a singer. My mother was a very beautiful, beautiful woman, a uh, very elegant looking woman. My father was equally as handsome. And, um, you know, so I didn't come up with anything that told me that I wasn't okay, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, and my family was very good about, you know, promoting that, that self-confidence, which I really think I was born with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't take any of those things into consideration as being um, obstacles. Mm -hmm. Okay, well then, um, um... Now, what we're talking about then is that period of the 1950s when the woman is supposed to stay home, take care of the kids and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that was not the case with you. Uh, when did you first start working? Well, I actually didn't start working till after I had my daughter, but, um, you know, when I was 18 years old. And that was in 1956, mm -hmm. you know, and he bailed. He was oh, fine. so it was the uh, uh, the uh, high school love affair then, was it? 
I was out just out of high school um, with that. I was actually going to Los Angeles to check, you know. How did you decide on going to uh, uh, L.A. Trade, trade Tech? What, uh, what prompted you to go there? Um, well, it was one of the predominantly, uh, I mean, it was very highly rated, you know, um, trade school. Mm-hmm. And I really wasn't interested in going to college, per se, because I, that wasn't my direction. I'm an artist, you know, naturally talented artist. So um, I decided I was going to go to trade tech and take uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> went through the art department there and, and in taking my tour, I was exposed to the um, technical drawing class. And, and I realized that, you know, getting into the fashion industry was going to be kind of a long, hard grind, you know. And I wasn't really sure that I wanted to, you know, I didn't have that killer instinct, you know, go out there, oh my God, I'm gonna get there no matter what and who I have to step, you know, and the garment industry is really, you know, pretty rugged that way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I walked into this technical drawing class and, and saw all these men drawing these machines. And I thought, I bet this job really pays well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought, you know, this might be a better option. I know I can do fashion. But this looks really challenging and interesting and profitable. Mm-hmm. So I just changed my course right there. And in the midst of that, taking those courses, I got pregnant with my daughter. And um, I was not married. It wasn't fashionable, of course, at that time. And I just decided, well, you know, I got a family to support. So I've got to see this through. And um, I had no intention of, you know, going away and hiding and giving her up or any of that. It just didn't occur to me. You know, it's like, hey, it's my responsibility. I did this, so I have to, this is what I have to do. Um, Of course, the school was kind of uptight about that. They wanted Mm -hmm. the school, because I just came to school one day wearing maternity clothes. anything to anybody you know <laughs> uh, and of course I got called into Dean's office and they were you know trying to railroad me into not finishing school because you know they didn't want me to be embarrassed and I just said I'm not embarrassed I'm sorry if everybody else is but you know, <laughs> I, I didn't feel I'd done anything wrong was- now uh, again uh, during the uh, that time frame it, it's interesting too because this was during a time frame when it was considered like a man's world uh, to work and to make the kind of monies that you had and also your choice of career your career choice because I don't think there were that many women in that class that you were in were there no there was no I was the only one actually Mm -hmm. at that time um now after I graduated I don't know you know there might have been more women that came into it, but um, but I went directly into the industry, and you know. Now, uh, what industry? Because you were talking about design, so what kind of mechanical design was it that you were doing? Oh. I wasn't doing design; I was doing illustration. Um, you know, like the um, the manual that you get when you buy a car that shows all the parts, and you know. Yeah. You know, I did the drawings for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it was in the aircraft industry. 
and I worked on the first 747 that they built. Yeah. For Boeing, doing, you know, the technical drawings. I mean, I wasn't the only one that was. Yeah, right. Now, did you need much of a um, aptitude, uh, mathematical aptitude for that, uh, for that training? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just needed to, I mean, you needed to be able to read a blueprint and um, that was it. You know, it was more a matter of visualization and, and you know, uh, you had tools to accurately, you know, transfer the blueprint to a three-dimensional drawing. But, it, w w what I think is so important here is to realize how um, so many people think, oh, well, they're just stuck in a particular job or something. But if they can get their consciousness around what it is that they're doing, how they can easily flow from one to the other. Because I mean, uh, construction of a garment <laughs> takes, uh, uh, it's that, that same kind of uh, yeah. a skill, yeah. wouldn't you say? And it's not that really that different. You know, yeah. when, I, you know when I design a garment, I make a blueprint, I make a pattern, you know? And then I have to, I mean, I have to have a certain level of visualization to say, okay, if I do this, you know, is it gonna look like this? But um, I also work on a dress form. So I, what they call drape the design, you know, I kind of approximate it and I can see what it can potentially look like. And then all that has to be transferred to a pattern and then that pattern has to be retranslated into a three-dimensional garment you know mm -hmm. so yeah there it's very interconnected yeah yeah the it's it's interesting too that um um being able to uh to keep your grades up plus uh, having uh that child and then uh having to go to work and then all of a sudden you are in the midst of this a man's world of uh, of, um, of of aircraft design. Wouldn't you say? What isn't what? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, air, actually, aircraft building. You know, there there couldn't have been that many women that were doing that at that no, point. There were, um, I fortunately that first place I worked, which was actually a publishing company. They published the manuals and you know, so they did all the artwork. Mm -hmm. um, I did have a woman supervisor, oh. but um, she was a, a lesbian. So the guys just figured, they thought of her as one of the boys, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then I came in there and I was 19 years old and you know, I had a killer figure. And I walked in there and immediately, of course, the interpretation was, well, you know, she has no brains. She has a great body, so she got this job, you know. Well, believe me, I met it, wasted no time in changing that. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it was very entertaining, you yeah. know, um, because I had, you know, there was nothing they could say that could hurt me. I was too self-proof for that. And so, I think that that is so important to say um, because that is one of the key factors that I think is so important is that when you have that sense of, of self about you, then you can go through and c continue to do what your dream is. Yeah, so, exactly. And, yeah. you know, 
I can't tell you how many times I got sent to my face, you know, like, well, the only way you got this job is because you're probably sleeping with so-and-so and, or, or everybody knows you're sleeping with every guy in the place. And I'd say, well, yeah, well, where were you when the line was forming? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always had a comeback and mm -hmm. they just got to the point where they were actually scared of me. <laughs> so what would you say that uh, your power was at that point? Because there, this is a, the strength of a woman is to know, uh, to really be centered in who she is. And that goes for a man uh, or uh, whoever at that, uh, it, it is, is that sense of, of strength. And where do you think you, you got that? I probably got it from my grandmother and my father. Mm -hmm. My mother was a more passive person, but my grandmother and my grandmother and my father were great friends. And this was my mother's mother. Mm -hmm. oh. So kind of, you know, two you know, kindred spirits. And I was a kindred spirit with them. Um, and I got, you know, encouragement from both of them. And, um, and you know, I could see that, you know, I could see how these people conducted their lives, you know, with that kind of energy and, mm -hmm. and confidence. And, you know, it was really amazing, especially with my father when he, he died young, he was 57. Mm -hmm. But there were people that came out of the woodwork, you know, to, to express their condolences to my mother. And the things that they said about my father were so gratifying and so mm -hmm. reinforcing. You know, um, it was it was lovely because it just made me realize that everything that I thought and felt about him was right. Yes, yes. So it is that you had a, 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 a good um, male parental yes. Um, yes, yes, thing yes. that was there. It's interesting too that at some point you had decided that you would go uh, take some psychology courses. Yeah, this was um, later um, when I was, after I was married and had, you know, my kids were, I'd been married about 14 years this time, 13 years. Okay, so this is a second husband. No, this is the first husband. First husband, okay. Mm -hmm. um, who was not the father of my, my daughter. Yeah. I see. Uh -huh. I met him at the place where I worked, where I first mm -hmm. worked. Um, so, and um, anyway, I decided to go, I wanted to go back to school and study psychology. It was just, it was something I was always interested in mm -hmm. because of my interactions and the, my experience socially, you know, coming up in, especially in the male environment, I was really interested in, you know, what makes people's minds work or not. Mm -hmm. And um, I went back to school and my husband hated it. <laughs> he did everything he could to discourage me mm -hmm. to the point where I left him. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I left and I was, we were separated for, I got my own apartment had, you know, job, everything, you know, no problem. And um, my kids were like 13 and 15, 16 at the time. 
And um, I was such a relief, you know, being away from him that I just, I didn't go back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God, you know, I'm free, I'm free. And, um, and you know, I, it wasn't that I didn't consider, you know, breaking the marriage up sooner, but I just simply didn't want to be thrown out into the world as I knew how difficult it was being in um, single, a single parent. It's it's interesting because then uh, with the psychology that you had, the situation that you you had, you you veered into a new uh, profession for a while at that point, which is very interesting too. That yeah, I, um, well, I was my major was uh, human sexuality and yes. anthropology, so I got involved in you know the study of human sexuality and came in contact uh, with a woman who was working as a, um, this is when Masters and Johnson, which is, you know, they were the big thing. And she was working for a Beverly Hills as a surrogate, sex surrogate. Mm -hmm. And I had quit my job at Northrop because I kind of got tired of the whole thing and said, okay, it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah. and. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was still going to school. And uh, anyway, this mutual friend that we had, that no, we didn't, I, she and I didn't know each other, but we knew him. He suggested that I meet her. Um, so I did, and she was engaged to get married and she wanted to turn her business over to someone, but she wanted someone who would be reliable, responsible and intelligent, you know, she felt like it was, her reputation was at stake too, you know. And so I met her and we hit it off perfectly well. And she put me through some training. Um, we practiced on her fiance. And, <laughs> and then um, she introduced me to all the doctors and she gave me her remaining patients. She had about six clients that she was still working with. So I, it was just a seamless transition. And I was in business immediately. And it was great. It was the best job I ever had. And it's interesting because there was changes uh, uh, for these, these men that came to you and the help uh, in ways that probably would not have been seen before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was like cutting edge stuff. And... Um, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I, I learned a lot about men. And now, mind you, I have a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience in working with men in all different, you know, areas. I still don't understand them, but, you know, <laughs> but I, I know what they're going to do before they know they're going to do it. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, um, so it was, it, it was very interesting and very enlightening. And, you know, it kind of made me, it was frustrating too, you know, mm -hmm. because I kind of realized that, and I'm sorry, guys, if this sounds really sexist, but I think that male behavior is pretty innate, you know? It's like, you can't really change it you can modify it and you can kind of, you know, 
push it around here and there. But bottom line, that Y chromosome is, <laughs> is the denominator. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and um, I was three guys, you know, I, it's just true, you know. <laughs> so, Elsa, uh, you know? <laughs> then from that, then you were able to um, um, get back into your creative side and then go back into the theater, uh, creating costumes and that for yes, many of the I, uh, things. I, uh, here in Palm Springs, I got involved with um, the director of a fledgling theater. Um, and they were just, you know, at the beginning and I, Started doing costume design for them, and we put on plays, you know, locally here in Palm Springs. And eventually, that involved a an eight year, you know, cooperation with um, and the theater grew, and eventually we became, you know, this much larger theater in Cathedral City when they took over the IMAX, the old IMAX theater, mm -hmm. and. Um, I retired a couple of years ago. I, just before the pandemic, I retired. That was the last because mm -hmm. it just got physically kind of daunting for me. I mean, you know, I'm 83 years old, so you know, that's a lot. <laughs> The uh, the thing you, honey, you don't look at a day over 40. So, <laughs> so anyway. Too close. <laughs> The Vaseline, I know. <laughs> the, the the thing is, but I I I think it's that spirit of curiosity that has uh, has moved you forward and has kept you in that front seat of that roller coaster with your head going high. Uh, well, and it's I can think of myself as an opportunist. You know, yeah. it's like I don't I don't look past anything. You know, it's like and something pops up and I go, oh, okay, that looks interesting, you know? And, and, and I go there, um, you know, I traveled all over the world uh, after I was divorced from my first husband with a fellow that I met when I was working at Northrop and mm -hmm. this really nice guy, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a date or anything. He just, he sat in his desk was his table was next to mine. And we talked a lot and he talked about traveling and. And um, he said, um, very handsome guy too. And he said, um, I was still in school and I'd just gone through my final exams. You know? And he said, wouldn't you like to celebrate? You know, I'll take you out to dinner. You know, where would you like to go celebrate? You know, you're finishing the semester. And I said, oh, I don't know. How about Mexico City? <laughs> <laughs> so... And so it was there, and then from there, he took you around the world. Oh, yeah, he took me to, Me. we did go to Mexico City mm -hmm. for a week, okay. and then to Tahiti, because yeah. he asked me, you know, where would you there like you to go? Anywhere in the world, where do you want to go? And I said, Tahiti, and he said, okay. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I went, because, you know, and I've talked to women in the past, you know, when I was doing all this, and they'd say, well, how can you go someplace with somebody that you're not in love with? And I go, what? Are you crazy? 
I said, that's the worst reason to go with somebody. You know, when you say this, this reminds me of the 1950s on television program of, um, of, um, I think it was the um, uh, movies with Rock Hudson and Doris okay. Day, okay, yeah. and she were always going, <laughs> always going someplace. But it is that sense of curiosity and that that sense, and I think that that's in the minds of everyone is that what if, and that excitement of curiosity that I think that is that is so much a driver in anyone's life and so important. But now that we're starting to wind down in that, um, then at some point while you were, because uh, I know you still have your home in in uh, the LA area as well as yeah. Palm Springs, uh, somewhere along the line there, you met Nelson and uh, you have been partners ever since. Can you tell us a little about that? Well, we met initially at the Tango. I was studying Argentine tango. And so I was involved in a tango group here in Palm Springs. And um, I met him the first couple of times at the tango thing. But, um, oh, okay. Um, he wasn't Nelson then, he was Stacy. And, <laughs> um, and I just thought, you know, here's this nice lesbian, you know, who's kind of shy and, you know, so, so I asked her to dance. And, um, you know, just something she would feel comfortable and a part of the group. And yeah, I didn't have any qualms about who I danced with, you know. And, um, you know, she was kind of holding me this kind of tentative, you know, like, you know, and tango is hold close and grace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I finally said, you know, if you're going to dance with me, you've got to hold me like a guy, you know. And <laughs> not even big. So the second time I saw her was in the, when she had started the transition. And, and I thought, oh, oh, I guess she's transitioning, you know, and talked a little bit and still, you know, there was nothing about it much, you know, other than, you know, just kind of a, an interest because I, you know, studied psychology. Curiosity, yeah. <laughs> and, um, then disappeared, disappeared. Didn't hear or see the purpose six months. And we were, I was at a tango gathering at a restaurant and in walked Cy. And I just kind of went, oh my God. <laughs> That's the man I've been looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it was, the first time in my entire life, three marriages, lots of lovers and boyfriends and all that, that, you know, I literally fell in love. And it was like, there were sparks flying. There was like, you know, this halo around him. And <laughs> wow. this, you know, I mean, it was just, I thought, this is really bizarre, you know? <laughs> but I went for it, you know? I just said, oh my God, I am just, you know, this is, this is it. And we sat in my car and talked for about three hours after mm -hmm. the dance. And I just told him at the time, I said, you know, I'm in love with you. I said, this is it, you know. And <laughs> I, I, had, I didn't even care what he was thinking. 
You know, <laughs> so you can choose to live life in the front row or the third row. And I, I'm sure from all that we have heard today that we can understand that um, um, Elsa, you have been living life in the front row and we mm -hmm. thank you for that. I wanna thank everyone for being here today and for the opportunity for the, um, the sharing back and forth. Uh, Elsa, again, it, it's always a pleasure and I'm waiting to the next time that we can have drinks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'll say uh, aloha for today. Thank you all again for being here.